This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. So what are we, two days into the provincial election now officially? I mean, I know it's been going on for longer. I know the campaign began way before the campaign officially began. But yeah, we're two days, maybe three, whatever it is, into the provincial election. And already, I got to tell you, buttons are being pushed that are driving me bonkers right now. I was so riled today when I heard about the elementary teachers union throwing its support behind the NDP. Now, why did this get get to me so much? It's got very little to do with, well, let me just go into it. Um, the elementary teachers union has, a, and many of the teachers unions have long histories, long traditions of supporting the provincial liberals. And now they've decided, no, we're not going to be able to do that anymore. we got to jump to the NDP. So, so you say, okay, why? Well, Sam Hammond, who heads up the union, says that his union has a growing concern that the liberals are not willing to work with teachers to really support public education. So reading between the lines, or maybe not even between the lines of what Sam Hammond is saying, this is really just a principled stand they're taking to ensure the well-being of the students of Ontario. This is, this is really just them throwing themselves on the ground, on the hot coals, to make sure that the young children of our province can walk safely across said coals and not burn their feet. I mean, Hammond and his folks, they're saints, really. They're, they're, they are truly saints. Someday, the Pope will probably give them that title. But I have a couple of questions about this because he has now said that he can't support Kathleen Wynne. He's turning his bath on, back on Kathleen Wynne and her liberals, despite what I think the average person or most people would consider some pretty wondrous gains that the union has received, unions, the teachers' unions, and also some pretty generous things that the liberals have said or vowed to do for education. Now, keep in mind, in 2014, when Kathleen Wynne took over as premier, there were 2,517 teachers on the Ontario Sunshine List. That's the list of teachers or of people making $100,000, provincial employees, government employees making $100,000 or more. There were 2,500 roughly. And that cost us as taxpayers $263 million. Well, last year, so three years later, the number was 7,066 and it was costing us $765 million. The provincial liberals put three times as many teachers on the sunshine list and put for those teachers three times as much money into the pot to pay them. That sounds pretty good to me. That may sound like it's a commitment of some kind to education. At least you could make that argument. You'll remember the stories after the last election of secret multi-million dollar payments from the liberals to the teachers unions. They said to help pay for negotiations. Now, why they were kept secret, why they weren't, we weren't told about this in the open. Well, of course that has nothing nefarious or shady or secret about them. I mean, no, that of course not. This was, it was all on the up and up. It was kept secret just because... Well, I mean, who, honestly, who would be interested in that? We were just not wanting to bog down the people of Ontario with details when they have other more important things to do in their life. And you'll recall that in their last round of negotiations under the provincial liberals, under the Kathleen Wynne liberals, teachers got 
raises, some as high as 4% a year. So Kathleen Wynne today, understandably, when the teachers, the elementary teachers union said they were going to throw their support behind Andrew Horvath and the NDP, uh, Kathleen Wynne was a little surprised. She said this, she says, we've been working with teachers. We've been increasing teacher salaries. We're putting more teachers into schools. Sure. Plus, she and her party have agreed in the past to invest $50 million over two years to hire special education teachers, $39 million uh, for contract extensions for occasional teachers, professional development, for special education support, for support for Indigenous students, at-risk students, English language learners. So there is definitely tons of money being spent and vowed to be spent. There is no shortage. This The idea from Sam Hammond's position that the Liberals don't seem to want to support education it kind of sounds hollow, doesn't it? When you're talking about all this money, globs of money. And by the way, not liberal money, not NDP money, not union money, taxpayer money, globs of it are being thrown at the education unions, at the teachers unions. Yet even all of that apparently isn't enough to convince the unions that the liberals are supporting public public education, which leads me to the question that has got me so riled up today and so angry about this today, because again, this is taxpayer money we're talking about. And I'm thinking to myself, if all of that isn't enough to convince the liberals to support Kathleen Wynne, what does a leader have to promise to show the union that kind of commitment and to earn their love and earn their support? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. We're chatting about, we're talking about the endorsement today of the Ontario Elementary Teachers Union for the NDP and trying to figure out why this would be happening, because they have been behind the Liberals solidly for years. And the Liberals, in return, have poured hundreds of millions of additional dollars into education mainly salaries, but into education over the years. But Sam Hammond, the head of the union now says, we don't really believe that they're committed to public education. Therefore, we now have to go to the NDP. So what is it that the NDP are offering that would make the union break its tradition and go to them? Well, I'm glad you asked that. The commitment, Andrew Horvath and the NDP's commitment starts with canceling EQAO tests, the standardized testing. Now, lots of us may have issues with this, But included in that are teachers, some of whom probably certainly feel like EQAO tests have the potential to make them look bad if their school or if their class doesn't do so well. So what better way to prevent yourself from looking bad than to just get rid of it altogether? But it's not just tests that will win over the union here. That costs nothing. What are we going to be spending under the NDP promises that the unions have latched, the union has latched onto here. Well, first of all, it's going to cap kindergarten classes at 26 students. Right now, I think the number is 30. So you're talking about a a reasonably significant reduction in the size of classes. You know what that means. It is going to, the NDP says it'll review the education funding formula. I think you can be reasonably guaranteed, reasonably assured that will not result in a reduction. It's not going to go down. It's only going to go up. It says it's the NDP says it will hire more st- uh, more teachers and more school staff. Aha. We start getting to the point here. It will put a moratorium on school closings. Mhm. 
It will spend $16 billion on fixing schools. Andrew Horvath even said she promises that your school will be safer. It is endless. The amount of money that is being spent is endless. Money we do not have. Money, I mean, elementary teachers, and this is not a shot at the teachers, just in case anyone's wondering. This is their union and other things going on with governments or with wannabe governments. Elementary teachers make a decent living. They make on average about $80,000 a year. That's not bad. In fact, that's very good. But here's the thing. If the NDP were to somehow, the, the conservatives are way in front right now, according to the polls for whatever that matters. But if the NDP makes a big run and gets into power, it is now going to be beholden to the union that supported it, that made a big show of supporting and helped it get, got, get there, which means big salary increases, money being thrown at all these things paid for by you and I. Paid for by you and I. Right now, there are some reports that say up to 87 cents of every dollar that is spent on education in this province goes to salaries and benefits. 87 cents. That means that there is not much money left over for running the schools and maintenance and equipment and supplies and school or gym equipment and instruments and whatever else. If the union was truly concerned about better education, it would acknowledge that this balance is a problem and stop asking for more and more and more and more. But that is not the function of the union. It is not the students' union. It's not the parents of students' union. It's the teachers' union. It is in it for the teachers. I don't care what they say about the well-being of the students. There has been very little shown that would support that. It is the teachers' union, and that's fine. That's their role. But we come back then to this endorsement because this is just another example of what is already two days in what's going on in this election. There are so many promises being made and so much imaginary money being thrown around that we can't even fathom what the money is that's being spent. And this is across the board. This is one example. This was a prime one today because you know this would cost us billions of dollars if this were to happen. But we, if you need a reminder, as Ontarians, we are deeply, deeply, deeply in debt. We cannot afford this stuff. You all know this. Everybody knows this. There are things we have to pay for. There's no question about it. But we can't afford to pay everything for everybody. We can't keep digging ourselves a bigger and bigger and bigger hole. And yet that's what our leaders are proposing. And not just Andrea Horvath. This is today's news. But it's not just Andrea Horvath. We have promises that are, if they were ever to be fulfilled, would cost us more money than we could ever imagine. And so rather than being adults and looking at the real problem and saying, we have serious financial issues in this province, they're just throwing around things saying, we'll promise everything. doesn't matter. You want it? Sure. You got it. You want it? We want an endorsement? Sure. We'll give you whatever you like. You know what's going to happen though? And here's the truth about this. The same kids that the NDP and the elementary teachers union say they are working for to make their lives better, those are the same kids that once they graduate from school are going to be stuck with the tab for this, paying massive amounts of their taxes to cover just the interest on the enormous debt that they are going to inherit. Make no mistake, it doesn't go away. It's not imaginary money. It's not play money. It's not monopoly money. It's real money owed that they that has to be paid back or at least the interest has to be covered and who's going to do that the baby boomers are going to be gone 
Generation X, yeah, they'll be moving into retirement. It's these kids that are going to be the ones stuck with the tab, and yet nobody seems to care about that. This is just another example today. We need to have Andrea Horvath say, you know what? No, I can't give you any more promises of more money because there is no more money. We need Kathleen Wynne to say, I'm sorry, we can't promise all this stuff. There's no possible way on any earth that we could pay for this. We need Doug Ford to stop offering promises and saying, you know what? Promises are out. We're going to fix this thing. We just need everyone to stop. This is crazy. This is craziness. What is being proposed just today, just with the teachers unions, just with this endorsement, the amount this would cost, it's nuts. We need our leaders to finally decide that they are going to be realists rather than dreamers and show leadership in this election. We're two days in and already we're talking about stuff that'll put this province in dire straits for longer than it already is. Enough. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. I was walking into First Ontario Centre last night uh, for the Bulldogs game. And on the doors all along the side on York Boulevard and on Bay Street, there were signs posted up talking, saying something. I didn't stop to read exactly what, but it was something about K-pop. And I'm paraphrasing, but basically it says, don't bug us about K-pop. It's being looked after online. It's not here. I mean, it'll be here, but don't, we're not handling it. Don't worry about us. And I'm thinking, what is K-pop? Well, that puzzled me, but again, I'm, I, I'm thinking, okay, K-pop. I don't really know K-pop. I thought it might be a discount store, but no, that's K-Mart. And then there's the coffee things. Those are K-Cups. That's not it. And there's those tasty breakfast things. Those are Pop-Tarts. That's not it. Anyway, then I recall the piece written by Graham Rockingham in the Hamilton Spectator a day or two ago, which, ex- which essentially explained that K-pop is about to take over Hamilton. Well, I thought it was time to get said author, said writer, said journalist on the show tonight to talk about what this is because we're going to be hearing about it, I'm quite sure, especially in a few weeks when it shows up here and people are wondering why things are buzzing about this. Graham joins me now. Graham, thanks for doing this tonight. Yeah, how are you doing? Well, I'm great, and I will right off the bat, you know, I'm going to just defer to you. You are the expert. You're the music writer. <laughs> it, what the heck is K-pop, and why should we know about this? Well, we, we should know about it because of a band called BTS. And i I got to be honest with you, Scott. Uh, uh, like you, uh, uh, as of uh, Friday afternoon, if somebody said, told me that BTS was coming to uh, uh, First Ontario <laughs> Center, I would have thought of, oh, Bishop Torres is playing. <laughs> uh, 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 how good for the, for the Acaster boys, you know? But but uh, I found out because our colleague uh, Steve Milton was, was phoning uh, Core Entertainment, the people that run uh, First Ontario Center, about ticket sales for... Uh, for the uh, uh, ice uh, uh, show that was there last weekend, and he came over to me and he said, "You heard of BTS?" And, and I said, "No." And he said, "Well, they're all worried about ticket sales for these three shows they're doing in September." And and so I quickly did some research and found out that BTS is something uh, that is just taking over the world of pop, it has been doing for the last year and a half or so, and uh, and, and they're out of Seoul, South Korea. Um, it's seven young men, and uh, they're, they're, they're huge. Uh, you were playing Psy 
uh, uh, as an intro, um, they are the new Psy and, and are destined to be even bigger. Uh, and it is a, something that is totally social media driven, and particularly t- uh, Twitter. Um, to put it in perspective, um, BTS has more retweets and likes than Justin Bieber and Donald Trump combined on wow. Twitter. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, now, and that's quite an interesting combo you chose there, by the way. Yeah, well, <laughs> but they are uh, Huge. The, the stars of the Twitterverse, and, uh, and, and it, it's, it's really extraordinary. Uh, uh, and yes, they are the biggest, the big, latest K-pop sensations. You were, you were, and K-pop you were meaning Psy. Korean pop. Korean pop yeah, is Korean the K pop. for, yeah. Exactly. And you were playing Psy. Uh, that particular song uh, uh, has ha- received over 3 billion hits on YouTube. Stunning, isn't it? I mean, it really it's is. It, it is truly stunning. Now, so basically these guys are Backstreet Boys, Korean style. Seven of them. Seven of them. And, so, uh, and they all look perfect. They all have different uh, um, personalities, and they all have different images, and they look perfect. They are. Uh, they, it's, it's almost as if uh, um, they are anime cartoon characters. <laughs> Come to life. I mean, is I, and, I don't imagine... And, ima- and, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to take away from their talents because they, they work very hard, they're incredible dancers, and they're going to put on a high-energy show. Um, it, it, there's almost It's almost a factory-like scene in Seoul, Korea. And, and we're talking about a $5 billion publicly traded industry that's creating these bands out of South Korea, and uh, uh, and yes, their 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 songs aren't even in the English language. The, the, the thing about uh, uh, BTS is that uh, uh, they have fragments of English in there, which has made them all the more popular in the last year and a half or so in North America. So, what is going to happen? They've got three shows coming up for first Ontario Center as part of the first big North American tour. Um, they sold out more than 30,000 tickets in an hour. They would have done it faster, but there was no way the Ticketmaster uh, uh, online site could cope with it. So that's how fast. And there's a whole lot of people saying, oh, crying right now, mostly 12-year-old girls crying because they didn't get tickets. Well, and, and they're going to be coming from all over the world. And I want to get to that because we got to take a quick break here in just a minute. But before we do that, the thing about this, and we may have to, to keep this short and then pick it up at the other half of this. Mm-hmm. The way this was advertised, the fact that you didn't even know that they were going to be here, this was sort of just advertised on social media. It wasn't even put out publicly, and these tickets there, were snatched up. There wasn't even a press release issued out of uh, out of Hamilton. Uh, or I believe North America, I, the, the billboard got a hold of it. It came out of Korea. It just lit up the uh, uh, the Twitterverse like crazy, and bang, sold out concerts. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML.
If you've got a 12-year-old in your house, especially a girl probably, I'm guessing, you may have already heard that before, but uh, Graham Rockingham is on the line. Graham, just before the break, uh, by the way, music writer for The Spectator, great music writer for The Spectator. Before the break, we were talking about the fact that this wasn't even advertised. There was no press release. There was no marketing done. It was a social media, almost exclusively driven thing, and they sold 30,000 tickets without any of that. Is this a lesson or a uh, look to the future of other bands or is this just unique to this particular kind of phenomenon and it really couldn't work with anyone else i i think it's uh, uh unique to the uh, uh generation uh, uh that is buying these tickets and it is you know there's nothing new about manufactured uh, uh boy girl bands pop acts uh, it's been happening ever since you know, the great prototype are, is the Beatles. Uh, the Beatles were not a manufactured band, uh, far from it, but everybody has been trying to find that formula and put that formula get, uh, together ever since. My generation, we experienced the Monkees. Yes. Um, I still have their first two albums in, in my collection. Um, then we went to David Cassidy I uh, and the Partridge family. I remember getting sp- spending a fortune to get my hair cut just like David's, and it, it paid off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so this is not a new thing, and, and carrying into the 90s, it took a whole new thing. We had uh, manufactured bands all coming out of Florida. It was almost like there was a Florida uh, a factory of uh, boy bands. Uh, Simon Fuller in England was creating the Spice Girls. Um, so this is not a new phenomenon. What is new, however, is the ability uh, uh, of, of social media to take it and spread it. And, 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 and for young people, very young people, to internalize it and, and, and make it their world. And I look at the, I've been looking at Twitter feeds are incredible. Uh, and they're from all over the world about these three shows. I must say, these are the only Canadian shows of this tour. And the only other uh, uh, place where they're having three shows in a row is the Staples Center in Los Angeles. This is big time. So how did it end up in Hamilton? Because that's obviously got a lot to do with the, the rapidness of the sales. But how did it end up here then? Just uh, uh, availability of the venue. Oh, probably is my guess. Uh, uh, it's not like I, I don't believe it's something like Core Entertainment was out there trying to get them. No, it's it's they can't get here. They can't get there. I mean, September is a tough uh, 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 period for uh, big venues because of sporting events. Think of Toronto, and uh, and and it's lesser so in Hamilton. So that venue is is big. It's the, the the one sort of thing uh, uh, where where first Ontario Center uh, uh, sticks out above all other venues. It can take that as many as eighteen thousand people. We don't know how many people uh, uh, will eventually come for these things uh, for these shows because uh, the state they don't even know the stage set up yet, but. So that's that's why it's availability, really. That's what it comes down. Yeah, because my first thought on this one was, well, we must have a very large Korean population then. And then I went and looked it up, and it's like, no, no it's not. We don't. I mean, it's it's and it's not Korean kids coming. I mean, they're, they're, is that they're right? Going to be coming from Asia. I mean, they're coming from Quebec. There's a huge uh, 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 BTS. They call themselves the Army. 
in, in Quebec. Uh, uh, they're coming from all over. They'll be coming from the States. They'll be coming, yeah. The hotels uh, are probably already getting book fill, uh, book fill for that, uh, fill bookings for that weekend. You know what's amazing um, about that, Graham, too, is that we often talk in this city, We talk, I mean, everybody talks about it, but mm-hmm. is economic impact of different things. And usually when you have a concert that comes into town or a sporting event or whatever, it's Hamilton people primarily going to the show. So you always say, well, I don't know how much economic not impact. Really. That's not necessarily o- Often, often. If it's a, if it's a, for a lot of them, or at least a fair margin, a fair percentage of people. And They're you say, well. coming from far, as far away as, as this show. What, what, what strikes me on this, which bothers me a, a lot, is, is, where are these kids getting the money? Huh. <laughs> uh, uh, because, I mean, the, 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 the official prices uh, range, the, the lowest price is 85 bucks. And as you know, 85 bucks with fees translates to really 100 per ticket. Plus, you know, they must be talking parents into flying and staying here. And I'm sure a lot of them will see all three shows, so they're, they're going to be here for a week. You're talking, you're talking mega bucks, and and that that really concerns me because uh, uh, you know the power that these people have uh, uh, to force not not to force people into paying this money. Uh, for something that their kids will probably tire of two years down the line, and we may not even hear of BTS in two years. They'll be replaced by the next pop, uh, K-pop uh, generation. Yeah. I mean, who has heard from Psy lately? Maybe his mother. I don't know. <laughs> but you want to know but, something, Graham? We got to run. But you uh, you mentioned about the cost. It's a very it's a great point because it's going to cost them, as you say, fortune. Any guess what a ticket to go see the Beatles at Maple Leaf Gardens in 1964 cost? I, I'm guessing at 450. You're off by a dollar, 550, and that's dollars, five dollars yeah. and fifty cents. Yeah. Times change a little. Uh, Graham, we'll be hearing more about this. I'm sure you'll be writing about it. I can't wait to read your review on this, knowing how deeply invested you are in this style of music. It's going to be fascinating. I got to be careful because <laughs> I don't want to make young girls cry. <laughs> Graham Rockingham from the Spectator. Thanks for the time. Take care. That is, uh, it's a fascinating thing. It's the, I, I bring it up not necessarily expecting that all you listeners are going to suddenly jump on the K-pop bandwagon, but you will be hearing about this. And this is, as I say, the new Backstreet Boys, the new Justin Bieber, go back far enough, the new Beatles. You may love it. You may not love it. Doesn't matter. This is where we are. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Usually, once a week. I do a special, not a special, I do a thing for a segment. But you know what? As a special surprise today, as a special bonus, for the second time this week, we're going to have a special edition of Ben's Story of the Day. Just because I thought, you know, let's do it. I, I was I was cranky for the first half hour. I thought, let's 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 brighten things up with what we do. Ben is the guy who's behind the glass. If you call in, Ben picks up the phone. If you're listening to music, he's the guy who chose those songs. He makes sure we're on the air. Once a week, usually, although special event today, uh, I bring forward three of the craziest, most ridiculous, most unbelievable stories from around the world. Tell you in brief summation what they are and then Ben picks one which is his Ben picks which one is his story of the day so we launch into 
a special edition. I wish we had some sort of wild, great music of trumpets blaring or something. Anyway, story number one comes to us today from Arizona, where a kindly, kind-hearted, soft-hearted woman was driving along a side road north of Tucson, Arizona, when in the evening when she spotted an owl lying on the road, dazed, maybe dead, maybe injured. It had somehow been hit by a car, apparently. And this lovely woman decided that she was going to try to rescue this bird. And so she stops her car, she gets out, she picks up the bird, it's not moving. I guess she sensed that it was alive somehow, maybe it fluttered, I don't know what happened. But anyway, she didn't leave it there. She thought, okay, we're going to get this thing rescued. So she put it in the car and began driving, I suppose, heading towards a vet or something else. I'm not really sure. Unfortunately, shortly after the bird, uh, shortly after the car started driving away, the bird revived <laughs> and freaked out at being in a car. And I don't know if you've ever seen an owl's talons. <laughs> these, these are like a raptor from Jurassic Park. Now this woman is pulled off to the side of the road with a really angry owl that has one of its claws dug into the seat back and one dug into her shoulder. And she is now stuck in her car, unable to go anywhere, calling for help because she is now a victim of her own kindness. There, That's our first story of the day. Moral of the story, don't help roadside injured animals. Well, maybe that's not the moral of the story. But anyway, that was what happened to her. So there's story number one. Story number two comes to us from Santa Cruz County in California, off the coast. Uh, there was a guy who was out having a nice paddleboard or wake kayak. He was p- paddling in his kayak. One of those, you've seen them around, one of those just like simple plastic poured formed kayaks, the one piece. It's not one of the fancy ones. It was just one of those simple ones. And he's out paddling around and his sunglasses fell off. So, of course, and they were, I guess they floated. He must have had one of those neck straps or something that would keep them from sinking. So, uh, this guy decides, well, I better go get my sunglasses before they float away. So, he disengages himself from his kayak and jumps into the water to go swim after the glasses that somehow were now about 15 feet away from the kayak. Above him, a tourist helicopter was watching down quite agitated at this man jumping off his kayak because mere feet away from him, a great white shark is circling underneath the water. (laughs) Now, the man survived. But when he found out, apparently, I guess he nearly wet himself when he saw the video later on, he jumps off the kayak. And I'm not kidding. 15 feet away, there is the huge shadow of a great white shark that has been following him. How he didn't get eaten, I have no idea. Anyway, story number two. And story number three comes to us from Alberta, of all places, from Canada. Uh, a guy who was a zoo employee at a zoo in Alberta decided that he, was, he, wanted, he had a hankering for some Dairy Queen. He wanted to go and get himself a soft serve at the Dairy Queen and decided the drive-thru would be a good idea. And if you work at a zoo in Alberta and you have a feeling that you want to get some ice cream, it only makes sense that you are going to pack up a bear from your exhibit into your minivan and take it with you to get your Dairy Queen. 
So when the poor Dairy Queen employee opens the window to hand over the ice cream, there is a bear's head sticking out of the minivan. The zoo employee has now been charged under the Wildlife Act. <laughs> I'm just, I'm imagining what if the bear had like decided he did not, he wanted to be like the owl and didn't want to be there. What do you do with an angry bear when you're in a minivan? Well, I know the answer to that. Um, not much. You just get eaten. That's what happens to you if you are taking a bear for a Dairy Queen. So, Ben, your three stories of the day for the special edition of Ben's Story of the Day. Do you like, as your story, the revived owl that freaked out and dug its talons into the lovely lady who rescued it? Do you like the man who tried to rescue his sunglasses by getting off his kayak and nearly being consumed by a great white shark? Or do you like, and we got a theme going here today, or do you like the Canadian zoo official who took his bear on a ice cream run at Dairy Queen? I like the idea of a bear in a minivan and just the preamble to all of this of just him being like, okay, Yogi, I'm going to Dairy Queen. Do you want anything? <laughs> Oh, come along. Okay, yeah. boo-boo. <laughs> Where you get the picnic basket? Yeah. <laughs> so, In right. this case, it was Dairy Queen, Dairy not Queen a picnic and basket. Dairy Queen and the bear. Uh, yeah, d- d- so the moral of the story is never go bear to Dairy Queen, I guess. Or maybe that's a different moral to a story. That's a different story for someday down the road. The streaking driver, maybe. There you go. Ben's story of the day. Special edition, just for you. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good buddy, Bubba O'Neill, from CHCH Sports. Sir, how are you tonight? At this moment, I am absolutely mystified. Well, first, mystified that we neglected, forgot, or basically the well ran dry on funky intro music? <laughs> no. Oh. I just, you know how sometimes in our industry that sometimes we're told never to look at viewer responses or... All right. You know, or you know, sometimes when you write a column, people have their opinions. Yes, sir. Well, it's of course, talking about Denis Shapovalov and his first ever meeting with Milos Ronic, our two top men's Canadian players yes. in Madrid, Spain, and Shapovalov won 6-4-6-1, And I called uh, Shapovalov uh, at some point within the uh, read. Uh, I called him El Shapo, which is what he's more affectionately known by many on tour, in which a viewer uh, emailed me, just emailed me, and thought that it was very inappropriate for me to call Shapovalov <laughs> The nickname of a Mexican drug lord. <laughs> well, now, I didn't see the match. Did Shapovalov escape from trouble at any point? Because then it would be very appropriate since the guy keeps escaping from every prison he's in. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, I, well, I'll tell you, I mean, I had one today, and I don't know if people are interested in this or not, but I wrote a column on the Bulldogs, and I it was... Um, it was yesterday, I guess, and I thought it was about as complimentary as I could write it because it was the the one of the best players on the Sioux Greyhounds who they're playing against had said, well, no, we're not, Hamilton isn't winning this series, we're losing this series, we're giving it to them with our mistakes, and I kind of sarcastically was pointing that out and said, yeah, I think he may be wrong, Hamilton's doing some good stuff here. And someone wrote in and told me how horrible I was for being so negative and so critical of the Bulldogs. And I was like, wait, let me go back and read this again, because I don't think I was being critical. I was being as complimentary as I could be. Anyway, you know what? They're each to their own, each to their own interpretation. You're right. You're right. You're right. Anyway, so El Bubo 
Bobo. I don't know what we could call you then. That's probably inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. I am now a uh, Trinidadian drug lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. N- named after cleavage. Uh, that, it would be a very interesting drug lord, I'll tell you, if that was the case. Hey, welcome to the show. Glad you're along. Uh, I, want, I got a bunch of things I want to talk to you about, but let's start where I was just talking about with the Bulldogs for a second, because a lot of people watching yesterday, there were almost, well, 8,600 people at first on Terra Center, which was a great crowd. Uh, a lot more people, well, there, there was a, it was a nationally televised game. It was on Sportsnet. Do you? Th- it's three years now that this team has been back as a junior hockey team. I know what the dream has been for the ownership and for people involved in this and for fans. Do games like this, can moments like this, do you believe, actually give any real traction for growing this? Or are games like this one-offs for people who just like to go to a big event and after the game's over, they're just back to where they were before? I would say... Uh, if I can sort of split it down the middle, Scott, and, and let me tell you why. I think it certainly did open an eye, open the eyes for a lot of people, especially, you know, especially, uh, and unfortunately, the game is what it is. I mean, you go to a game of any sport and you never know how it's going to play out. The game before that was 6-5 was about as crazy, I know you were there, that's about as crazy as you can actually see in terms of back and forth entertainment, all offense. This game was much tighter, but had all kinds of drama and great saves, goalposts, and, of course, an overtime win by the road team. So I think it opened the eyes to a lot of people about how entertaining. I think when people hear Bulldogs, and that was the one concern I had, that when Michael Antlauer, the owner, decided to keep the name Bulldogs and keep it and change from AHL to OHL, that people still think, there are, I, think I believe there are people that still think that we have an AHL franchise here. And, and that you get to the point where you're like, you know what, this is the OHL. And as far as I know, the OHL, or Canadian Junior Hockey, is the best junior hockey in the world. And I'm at, you know, putting in what goes on in Europe with club teams, I'm including NCAA. So a game like last night and the night before can go a long way. Now, do I think that all, all of a sudden Hamilton will lead the league in attendance? No. Who knows? Well, no. I mean, they're not. They're not. And and you know what? The other thing, just to jump in for a sec, the other thing about this is I've heard from a lot of people when the AHL team left, I heard a number of people say, yeah, you know what? This is teenagers now. I'm not interested in watching teenagers play. And I got to say, last night's game combined with Monday's game, uh, this is, I think a lot of people may have been surprised just at the level of play. This is not... This does not play like you would think teenagers play like. No, this was this isn't like triple A midget. No, this is this was this, these were two exceptionally exciting games. You're right though. I, they're not going to suddenly pass the London Knights in attendance. But I'm wondering if you know from the people who saw this, can you say that? Well, maybe they bump up by 300 on average a game I, next year, which I, would be. I, I totally agree, Scott. I think it did. Maybe even more than that. And I and I think again. Winning is the best thing ever, right? So, but if you're going to lose, lose exciting. No, no. But what I'm saying is yeah. that if you have a winning franchise, and I think people are finally opening their eyes to like, you know what? We've got a winning franchise here in Hamilton. And hopefully that translates into next year because there's a good crop of kids that are coming up next year plus returnees from, from this team next year. So this team should compete. Will it be first in the Eastern Conference? Well, that will play out. But as long as people know they have a winning franchise, I think there's a buzz and an excitement. Will it top 8,600 every night? Probably not. But I think that I think last night and the last two nights did a lot for junior hockey in this in this area. I, I think it was a reminder for an awful lot of people 
of a certain vintage. Uh, well, there, there's there's different people here. The people of a certain vintage who were at Fin Cups games, and maybe even some of them who went to Red Wings games, they may have been reminded. I think that this level is pretty exciting, and for a lot of people who were never around for that, I think this was probably a, a good thing. I, look, the Hamilton hockey teams, for reasons that I cannot explain, have a long, dark history of wetting the bed when they have a big game or a big crowd and the place is full. It's just happened so many times. When when there is a game and you finally get the attention of the city, it's happened so often that the team has been awful, and then everyone walks out of the building going, ugh, well, that was horrible. They lost last night, but again, I don't think there's too many people that could have possibly left the arena and said, well, that sucked. It was really exciting hockey, and yeah, a win would have been nicer for people, but I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, I could watch that again. Uh, absolutely, Scott. And I mean, all everything I kind of read off Twitter and that kind of thing, and again, that's just a reaction from people, not just so much media like I always read, but definitely just people, fans, people that have never been to that rink to see a junior hockey game said, you know, how much they're looking forward to that. They will be buying a ticket, and they will be there for game six. And I think that's, you know, the... I, you know, you, you talk to the players more than I do, and that's got to that's uh, has to excite them. Uh, that's got to excite the franchise, and you know, go a long way to to sustaining this franchise in this area. And you know, and I don't know what you think about this, you know, but it, uh, unfortunately, and maybe this is something for after the season, it really does kind of stretch out that discussion about is cops call does cops coliseum need to be replaced? Because well, yeah. If you, again, if you had a barn in there, let's let's drop it down to eight thousand or maybe seventy five hundred. What that building could be like on a every night basis, even when you put in four thousand or thirty five hundred, how exciting and how loud it would be. I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's a, certainly a discussion that we're going to have to have on another day because it's a much deeper one because it involves millions of dollars and private versus public money and all that kind of stuff. But just in sort of having a, a dream about it or, or thinking about it ethereally, yeah, absolutely. This would be, if that was a 7,000-seat arena, first of all, if you didn't know that you could, there were people, I was outside doing a, a, a hit with you guys shortly before the game on CHCH, and there were still lots of people lined up at the ticket window. You know when you go down there, when there's 17,000 seats, that you can walk up five minutes before and get a ticket. If there were only 7,000 seats and you knew that if you wanted to go, you had to buy them ahead of time, that game would have been sold out yesterday morning at the latest. That's right. So, I mean, I think you had tweeted that, that 6,800 to start the day? I think it was something like that. So they had they basically had 2,000 sold during the day yesterday. I mean, that's incredible. That's fantastic. And and I think, you know, if you're, you know, again, Michael Landlauer or you're even the Ontario Hockey League, that's promising. Sure it is. No, that, that that is promising. It'll be very interesting to see, to me, whether... Well, first of all, they, there will be a Game 6. That's going to be Sunday afternoon at 2. If, you, if you're hearing us talking about it and you've said, well, I've never actually gone and you want to check it out, there will be a game you will be able, to, in all likelihood, to get a ticket. I mean... There have been times when the building has been close to sold out for a, or sold out for a championship game here in Hamilton. There's precedent for that, but uh, it, it will be interesting to see if next year, if attendance goes up even 100 or 200 or 300 on average, and you can tie it back to this playoff run. Anyway, 
I want to jump to something else quickly. A couple other things quickly. First of all, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Lots of baseball fans have heard about this guy. He's the Blue Jays' top prospect. He's probably the top prospect in all of baseball right now. Son of Vladimir Guerrero, who everyone remembers. Uh, he's playing for the Blue Jays' double-A team. Right now, t- uh, I think they've played 27, 28 games, something like that, of their season. Right now, he is batting three eighty-seven with five homers, 35 RBIs. And he has 12 walks and 12 strikeouts. As many walks as strikeouts. For a guy who hits for power and for great average, that is remarkable, especially in the modern style of baseball where everybody swings for the fences and strikes out. And he's only 19 years old, which is even the most amazing thing. If you're the Blue Jays, do you call the guy up? Or, or maybe I should say, when do you call the guy up if you're the Blue Jays? You don't, you don't call him up to sometime next year. And, you, and you, you're going to give him the whole year down there. There's no, there's what is the what is the what is the benefit of of bringing him up here? And I'll tell you for two reasons. There's two reasons. There's business because all of a sudden then you lose a year of eligibility off his contract, and then you're going to have to start paying him like a pro. So financially, it doesn't make sense. Second of all, this team, this Blue Jay team, is in no way going to catch the Red Sox or the Yankees for the American League East. At the very best, they are fighting with teams like the Mariners and what, either the Yankees or the Red Sox for a wild-card position. Are you going to bring him up again for the financial reasons and for reasons of stunting his development without even him being in AAA? Uh, oof, Joe, Jay have to give up a grand slam. <laughs> so, well, maybe yeah. they need him to pitch, too. <laughs> yeah, they need him to pitch, too. And do you, like, what is the purpose? It doesn't... It, I mean, yes, to sell some tickets, he sells some seats. You know, there will be a buzz for about four or five games. Vladdy's up. He's not, he just turned 19 year, years old, Scott. Let the guy develop. Let him continue to have a year of confidence. Because here's another thing to think about and consider. is He's a third baseman. So you're going to bring up this 19-year-old player and have him as a designated hitter? What a waste of development that is for him as a as a player, uh, not that all, not only hits the ball, that plays in the field as well. What if, okay, and I agree with you entirely that they're not going to catch the Red Sox or the Yankees. However, you are now into uh, beginning of August, let's say, just throwing out a random date, and the second wild card spot in the American League is within reach. You are in contention for that, a game or two within uh, uh, for that. And you're looking, saying, this guy could be the spark that could give us what we got when Marcus Stroman came back from his blown-out knee a couple of years ago or when we made some of those trades. Under those circumstances, do you decide we're going to give the guy a look? No, I, I just don't see it, Scott. I, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You should have enough. There should be enough talent on that team right now at the major league level. And, and you know, the Jays actually went out and got a third baseman from the Cleveland Indians yesterday, tomorrow, and I guess that's for added depth at the hot corner as well. I just, I just, it doesn't make sense for me. And I, like I said, you have one of these, um, we're not, well, I mean, it'll all play itself out, but you have what I would consider like a Snyder or a Delgado, one of these guys that are maybe one of your top prospects ever. So you, I think you have to look long-term. I really think you have to look long-term and not give in to that, sort of temptation i think what you know what you know of course in rogers radio stations and television stations they'll continue to flirt with this to keep up the conversation because it brings interest to the team but i think long term if you're a part of management it doesn't make a lot of sense to me i think 
Well, I, I generally agree, although, as I say, I, th- I think the temptation for them, if you're in a wild card spot or close to it midway through the summer, I think, and, and, then, and then, I mean, you want to throw another catastrophe in there as Donaldson gets hurt again. He's been getting hurt more and more. The temptation to do that would be, I, I really believe you would see him. Whether it's but, the but right Scott, move or sorry, not. But, sorry, sorry to rip, to no. cut you right off there, Scott. But what, for the temptation of a wild card game, which could be played, play, it's a one game. It's not a series. It's a one game playoff that will probably be played on the road. Is that enough? Is, is that a big enough lollipop to do, to do this? One game. Are you One asking me, or are you probably, asking a general manager or an ownership group that well, is looking would, at this I would, saying? I would, I would ask general manager, ownership, and management that too. But I have to ask you that. I don't think it's big enough. Well, and, and let me throw a third one in there. And I, and I mean, a lot of these are are things that may or may not. But you know what? If um, there's a third option, they're not really in contention, but crowds are dropping off because they're not in contention and we need to sell some tickets for this team and we need to keep our TV ratings up so let's bring him up there to try and drive some interest and and as much as that would be the worst of all reasons that might actually be the most likely of all reasons I don't know uh, maybe in September's when you expand the rosters to I believe 40 players uh, if you can get away without him, again, burning a year off his contract, in which you're going to have to pay, like I said, you have to pay him at full major league value in terms of his contract. Uh, I really don't see it. Again, I know it's tempting. Um, will he continue to hit 400 for the entire season? Uh, I don't. I mean, who knows? But remember, he's a double-A player right now. He just turned 19 years old. There's no need. And again, to me, the greatest example of this is Travis Snyder. Who Travis Snyder, if people for, have forgotten, was one of the best prospects the Jays had had in years. I would mean, probably since Carlos Delgado. And there was a temptation to bring him up. They did on a bad team, and that was uh, on Cio Gasson's second go around as a manager. And the and the I guess it was Gord Ash that brought him up. And uh, Travis Snyder was, ended up being a good player, but not a great player like many expected because he was handled improperly. We got one minute here. Uh, I wanted to get through this very quickly. There are five. Now there's a big hockey game tonight. Uh, Winnipeg is going to be playing Nashville uh, right now for reasons that I can't quite explain. There are a bunch of Winnipeg Jets fans I, I, doing a Bollywood dance. I see it too. <laughs> I, I'm the sound is off. I don't quite understand what's happening here. Nonetheless, uh, Winnipeg is playing Nashville. <laughs> this is one of the strangest hockey intros I've ever seen from any. Anyway. <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, it's on one of the TV channels, and there are about 10 people doing a Bollywood dance in Winnipeg Jets colors. Um, and you're right, because I'm the same way. I don't have the sound, but all I'm seeing is a bunch of <laughs> so we've got Jets fans doing a Bollywood dance and doing some type of interesting dance. We are, we are a multicultural society. Uh, and we've now, got... <laughs> Gene Prince of Amy. <laughs> So we've got five teams. We've got Nashville, we've got Winnipeg, we've got Tampa, we've got Washington, and we've got Vegas left to possibly win the Cup. It'll be down to four tonight. I asked Don Robertson on Monday, I'm going to ask you now, who's your pick? Not who you think is going to win. If you had your choice, who do you want to win the Stanley Cup of the remaining teams? Uh, I, uh, overall, it's who do I want. I'm going to say of the four teams, I think Nashville. I think after their you don't want more Bollywood dancing from Winnipeg. 
You know, it would be great for Winnipeg. You're it would right. be great. And maybe I should have the Canadian angle too. But there was just something about that run last year with Nashville. It's only because I think Nashville's going to win tonight. And uh, what they did last year with the with the country music singers and the the, the uh, Tennessee Titans offensive line, the drinking of the catfish, the throwing, I, I think it's great. And, and they're kind of like the Tiger Cats. Tiger cats. They're kind of like the Bulldogs' colors. That uh, first Ontario Center looked a lot like the Bridgestone Arena. It really did. Like tonight. It really did. And if Nashville wins this game tonight, we talked about this on the show the other day, if Nashville wins and they play Vegas, if you've ever seen either team's pregame shows, oh, yes. this thing is going to be the entertainment showdown of all time between the country stars and Nashville, who does this really cool but, I mean, overstated uh, opening pregame show, and then there's Vegas. That apparently someone with the Vegas Golden Knights dropped acid and sat down to design a program, <laughs> and it is and I mean it was it was on acid. It was Timothy Leary inspired for the first two rounds. Now they're in the third round. I can't even imagine what's going to happen in in Vegas for the next round. Uh, for the entertainment value alone, I kind of hope. But yeah, I would I would like Winnipeg. I'm the, the one the one saving grace with this series is that whoever wins tonight, we are guaranteed to have a Hamilton player in the next round because playing for Nashville is Ryan Ellis, who's a defenseman, right. and playing for Winnipeg is Ben Sherratt, who number That's seven right. for Winnipeg, who's a defenseman. So either way, we have a, our local representative carrying on. All right, uh, last thing. I'm way past time. How much money did you put down today that in the Russian exhibition hockey game that Vladimir Putin would score five goals? He did what? He got five goals today. Playing with the former Russian celebrities and former Russian players, he potted five. Vladdy may be the greatest hockey player ever. He's like Kim Jong Il on the golf course. <laughs> when Vladimir is skating around, you should have seen a couple of these goals. It was terrific. The goalie did the best acting job to look like he was trying to stop it while making sure the puck went in. Because you know you don't want to be sent to the gulag or something. So let let yeah. Vladdy score. Because you don't want your family sent away. It was it was hilarious, and and the best part, Putin. If you watch some of the things, like it actually looks like he truly believes he got five legitimately good goals. Oh, like really? he looks like it was like, yeah, Vladdy, man, play with no shirt, bare chest <laughs> hockey. Like you know, it, it's it's so not fair. Like you know, you can't forecheck. You can't hit him in the corner. Could you imagine? Putin goes in the corner and you come flying in and just drill him? What you would what? happen to you? Drilling him would be, would be great, too. But you know what would be great would be just hooking him. <laughs> All game. Him stumble. Yeah, just spearing him in the cup for the whole oh. game. Every time he goes by, just dunk, dunk. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah, Got you right in the KGB there, Vladdy. How about that? Welcome to playing hockey. <laughs> Bubba, oh, now go watch those highlights. By the way, you will you will appreciate them. And if you miss them, maybe you can pull up. I, I'm hoping on the newscast tonight you're going to show the Winnipeg Jets intro tonight. I, I I'm sorry, I have to go find that again because I'm still <laughs> I'm like I still want an explanation as to what was going. It was on terrific. The- they were great. It just is one of those things that I didn't expect to pop up. At that no, moment, I, they no. were talking, and then they were dancing. You know, I, I guess it's at the MTS Center. I guess they're, they're just like, I guess there's lots of people probably going to watch the game on the big screen. And right I so. love, I listen, I love the fact that as a multicultural country that you have people from all backgrounds who have jumped on and are hockey fans and are fans of the team. That's that, that terrific. Goes question. That it, goes without question. It just 
It was shocking. Caught me off guard. I didn't expect that to happen today. Anyway, it was kind of like when Shania Twain was interviewed at the All-Star Game or last year in the finals and she was blasted out of her head. I didn't expect those words to come <laughs> no, out of her mouth. No, not at all. I love I surprises. Love hockey. <laughs> I love surprises. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Uh, Thank you, sir. Good stuff there, Scotty. You can catch Bubba tonight at 11 doing the news and the sports on CHCH. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.